Grown and The Moth are excited to partner with Graduate Hotels to celebrate storytelling across generations. Visit any of Graduate's 30-plus hotels and you'll discover storytelling is at the heart of everything they do, especially when it comes to their unique, locally-inspired interior designs. Not only has The Moth hosted a series of open-mic story slams at Graduate Hotels, but members of our staff have also had the privilege of visiting graduate hotels as guests. From Ann Arbor, Michigan to Oxford, England, our team has experienced firsthand the rich storytelling and memorable design touches that make a graduate stay so special. So the next time you're visiting a beloved college town or dropping by your alma mater, stay at graduate hotels and save up to 30% with exclusive code MOTH. Thanks again to Graduate Hotels for their generous support and their commitment to telling the unique stories of their local communities. Go book your stay now at graduatehotels.com and remember to use code MOTH for up to 30% off. I'm in Williamsburg. I'm with my two best friends. Got my boy Ruben, my boy Billy. And we're going to this venue, which is a bar, but a venue in the back of the bar. When we got there, I didn't buy a ticket. And what do you know? We get there, and the bouncer lets us in for $20 each. I think there was a DJ there before the the performance started, and so there were, like, songs playing. The cool kids were there, you know what I'm saying? A whole bunch of kids with grills, Williamsburg, Brooklyn vibes, a whole bunch of people who won't follow me back on Instagram. And it's Baby King. And he makes his way 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden he jumps out, kills it. It was really a memorable experience because literally right after this concert, which was in the wintertime, it went into January and then COVID struck. And like, that was, you know, I didn't see my friends for a long time, so. God, last concert before the pandemic, this must have been like a crazy bonding experience for you guys. It was. It was. It really was. Even today, like, I feel like me and my friends um, really bond over, like, just the fact that we would know. Baby Keem, like, we know every song. It's it's really a part of our friendship, especially, like, that was the last thing that happened before, like, we were all secluded from each other. I think it really helped. Grown. 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 I'm Aliza. And I'm Fonzo. And this is Grown, a podcast from The Moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. On this episode, we've got two stories focused on the strange and beautiful ways music can shape your life. First up is Eddie Laughter with a story that will leave you wanting an encore. I'm on my way to see live music for the first time, and I'm so much more anxious than I think I have any right to be because this band I'm about to see, I'm completely and utterly obsessed with, and I have seen every interview YouTube will physically let me watch, and I have listened to them so much. At this point, it's, it's probably doing something unhealthy to me. I don't know how that would work, but it's happening. <laughs> and when I listen to, and this is because when I listen to them, all of a sudden I feel like I'm big and like I'm powerful and like nothing can touch me when I'm walking down the street, which is really not something I feel at this, like, ever at this point in my life. And I feel, like, so small and clunky and, like, I don't fit into my own body right. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of starting to think that the middle school mentality that I'll never fit into any scenario I go to is just going to be how I live my life. And I feel like I'm, like, I just have to accept this at this point. So it doesn't make any sense that I'm this anxious to see this band. 
but I'm trying to think about what I can expect, and I'm just kind of thinking about how in movies, punk shows are always like a bunch of loud, aggressive, intoxicated white boys, and that doesn't really seem like my scene. And I'm spiraling a bit, and I'm looking around on the train, and I see this girl who's about like nine or 11, I don't know how age works, but she's there, and she's with her dad, and I'm like, wonder if they're going to the punk show, and then, and then and I'm more of a mess, and I'm still spiraling, and then I get off the train, and we get to the venue, and it doesn't look like a venue, but it definitely is a venue, because I get inside, and it's dark, and everyone's bigger than me, and it's really loud, and I pick a direction, and I just start walking, and I see my eighth grade math teacher, and because of course I see my eighth grade math teacher. So I go up and talk to my eighth grade math teacher. Because that's how he wants to spend his Friday. And I get up to him and it was a lot less awkward than you would think. And he asked me about music and what bands I listen to and I forget every single band I've ever heard of ever. And I'm like, this one. And thankfully I'm interrupted by the first band that's up and they have this very, they introduce themselves and they have this very nice welcoming like speech about just like accepting everyone who's at the show and I'm like oh wow and then they start screaming and they sound like they're wounded animals and but then there's this weird pop music playing underneath it and they're still screaming and then after each song ends the front person goes thank you and then continues screaming for the next song and it's awesome and then this goes on for a bit and it stops and then I kind of creep out of the corner that I'm in and the next band is up and these guys just they legitimately sound like they're demons and like just from how they're moving to the way this man's like eyes look and whatever the noise is that's coming out of him and for some reason I start to relax a bit and people are starting to dance around me and in like this sort of like way where it feels like there's a big sense of unity in the room and I don't know where that's coming from and then this lady behind me goes well, that was aggressive, and I'm like, yeah, it was aggressive. And then that band, is, they're done, and then I'm like, my band is next. So I kind of like creep up to the front middle of the room, so I'm next to this woman who has, who's bragging to her friends about all the new patches she's put on her jacket, and I'm like, I support your DIY craft so much! And then my band has gone up to tune their instruments, and I'm like, and then I, I text my friend, and I'm like, I see the front woman, and she's like, ah, and I'm like, ah, and this is all over text, and then I can, I'm so excited, and I can feel everyone else is just as excited as I am, and it, feel like, it feels like the room is like buzzing, which is so crazy, because no one's ever excited about what I'm excited about, and then they start playing, and it's like all of the air and sound gets sucked out of the room and we're all watching them and we're all just so excited to be there but it's like beyond excitement at this point and it's like everybody is where I am in my head right now and I we're all just there together and we're all having the same experience and they start to play more songs and, and they start to like get into the music a little bit more and everyone else around me is doing that as well, and they start to play my favorite songs, and apparently everybody else's favorite songs too. And then people are starting to dance more, more, and there's this woman in front of me, and all she's doing is like jumping up and down, which in any other context would look ridiculous, but it doesn't at all look ridiculous now, and, and like, I can do that too. So I start to like move and like jump around a bit, and then I'm, it, I get that same sense of power and freedom that I get when I listen to it normally, but it's like fresher, or it's like revi revived or something, and then someone kind of nudges me and like pushes me out of the way and like takes my front middle spot and I'm about to like get internally offended because con conflict is scary. And <laughs> then, but then I just see that this woman was just making space for her girlfriend to go up next to her and I'm like, this is a room full of punk queer women and I just, I didn't know that was a thing and I just need a minute to like sit and process that and I look around and I see the girl from the train sitting on her dad's shoulders with like these big clunky headphones so her ears don't get all messed up and I 
would think that it would be weird for a kid to be here, but she looks like she's exactly where she's supposed to be. And I feel, and I start to realize that I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be too. And so I just let myself hold on to that. And the last thing I want to do is run away and hide in a corner. And I really feel like I belong here. And I'm so happy and I've never felt this kind of happy before. And then like the band is still in a show and there's like a mosh pit that's forming next to me, which I don't go over, I don't go in because I would get squashed like a little tiny person pancake. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm like on the side of it and I can still feel all of like the energy and from it. And I'm just, I'm still like kind of like riding off of that excitement that I'm feeling and that everybody else is feeling as previously mentioned. And then eventually the band and like they stop playing and I feel and I come back to my body and I realize how much I have to pee and get a glass of water. <laughs> and I really don't want to leave the room, but I realize that I have to. And I kind of look at the, the front woman and I'm like, ah! And then I leave and get on the subway and I'm looking at all these other people who are at the show with me and I can tell because they're holding like little various bits of merch or whatnot. And I'm looking at them and I'm realizing that I'm, they're all like me in some way and in so many different ways they're like me which I really didn't think was a thing. And I didn't, I didn't realize that I had something to grow up into before. I don't really know what I thought would happen to me, but I just never had an image that my life could like go somewhere and I could stay being like the weirdo person I am and have it make sense in the world around me. And I started to realize that the small feeling that I'm holding onto, I don't need it anymore. And I never needed it and that I'm not that small person, and I'm not going to be small forever, and I don't need to be, and that I'm gonna be okay, and it's just so crazy to think about. Thank you. That was Eddie Laughter. We asked Eddie how their younger self would describe him now. She said, little, or littler Eddie, would expect me to be less confused than I am right now, but would also be so excited and impressed at how much I've stopped hiding myself. That's really sweet, Eddie. I love that. If you want to see a photo of Eddie on their way to the concert, or if you'd like to hear more from the band Eddie went to see, check out themoth.org slash grown. It's the best place to learn more about grown. Up next, we have a story about finding a community. But first, Fonzo, Eddie's story really got me thinking about how much music can shape a person, especially when they're younger. For Eddie, it was the band The Screaming Females, for you, was there an artist or album that really shaped you? Yeah. <laughs> Goes by the name of Drake. Call me mainstream or whatever. I'm a big, big Drake fan. I just remember, like, senior, like, prom, coming home, like, somebody was driving me home. One of my friends was driving me home, and then just one of those, it was like, I'm done. You know what I'm saying? I'm finally done with this. And then, like, um, hold on, we're going home was playing. I was driving in the car and, you know, like the wind was hitting my face <laughs> and it just hit differently. And so, yeah. That's such a beautiful like experience. Like when the music yeah. amplifies the like emotions you're already feeling. Exactly. Is there a collection of music or an artist that helps you through throughout high school or like helped you get through certain things or bond with friends? Mm. So I grew up listening in my house to 80s new wave music. So like Depeche Mode, Yazoo, um, Oh, The Cure, and somehow mm. U2, which isn't really new wave. But anyways, um, so that was music I grew up listening to. And What about Sting? No, he doesn't fall into that category. Oh, okay. Wrong <laughs> category. 
<laughs> just like, I don't know, 80s sad boy music. But anyway, so that's like what I grew up listening to. And um, and then when anytime I tried to play like the cool music that kids in school were playing, my parents were like, this is not real music. I'm such a fan of your parents. I'm sorry. <laughs> your parents are cool. They're pretty cool. Because honestly, that is beautiful music and I love it. And like, um, but then I... I also just felt like I didn't know what the cool kids were listening to because I just wanted to listen to, like, Caterpillar by The Cure on repeat, which was the weirdest song ever. And I remember one time making all my cousins watch the music video and then being like, you need help. Like, what is this? Oh, no, 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 no. It's very weird Never song. judge someone for their music preference. That is that the message here. That should be the number, one, the number one rule. Not knowing what the cool kids are listening to makes you the cool kid. Trust. Oh, I wish, like, 14-year-old Eliza could hear that. Boy, does she need to hear that. <laughs> Alistair Bain is up next with a story that really hits home for me. As a teenager staying in Washington, D.C., when I met a guy who was willing to trade my Ramones album for a one-way bus ticket to New York... This was fortuitous because getting to New York was part of my super big revenge plan against my parents and everyone who had ever rejected or bullied me for being queer. And the plan went like this. Go to New York because that's where you go to be famous. Become a rock star. Make everyone sorry. It was only when I got to New York and the sun was setting and the temperature was dropping that I felt like perhaps I should have fleshed out this plan a little bit more (laughs) to include, like, shelter, food, and more than the $2.17 funding I had. I was sitting in Washington Square Park trying to act cool like I didn't care, and that was when I met Robin. Robin was another Native kid who had determinately bleached his hair, just like Mike Monroe from Hanoi Rocks. And he came up and started talking to me. Robin had been on the street since he was 14 when he ran away from foster care, which could have made some people jaded. But with Robin, it was like it made him more aware of what other people were suffering. So when he found out that I didn't have a place to stay, he said, come stay with me. That first night, we listened to music and talked about bands we liked. And then slowly, we began to talk about the deeper things in life. At that time, I tried to act like I didn't care about anything, because if you don't care, you can't be hurt. But I found myself telling him about things in my childhood that hurt me. He had reached across the bed to me and pulled me close and said, nobody's going to hurt you when I'm here. And it scared me to death. Because in the world I came from, of course, if somebody gave you a place to stay, they were going to touch you, but I didn't think that way, like he really cared. And that was something new and frightening for me. I just come to New York for my revenge plan and not to fall in love or something hallmark like that. (laughs) But that was what happened over the next few months. The thing I remember most about our relationship is that Robin had all these dreams for what our life could be. And when he found out that I could paint and draw, he used to tell me stories about where we'd live and the dogs we'd own and the things we'd do, and he'd say, draw that for me. And I would, and he'd put it up on the wall. 
Robin had this idea that when we turned 18, everything was going to be different. Like we had had to be strong swimmers in an unforgiving ocean and being 18 was the shore. But as each of us rolled past that mark in our lives, we found out that addictions and problems just follow you. I can remember a few weeks before Robin was going to turn 19, he looked at me and said, nothing's really going to change, is it? I said, yeah, it is. Of course it is. And I pointed to all the drawings I'd drawn of our future. And he smiled at me and said, the thing I like about you most is you've got such a good heart that you're really shitty at lying. I wish that maybe I'd been a better liar or I believed more because when Robin turned 19 on his birthday, he took his own life. I'd left New York, I'd left behind those drawings and I just wanted to forget. But I found that I couldn't forget but not in a painful way, but in a way that throughout my life when I had wanted to quit, I'd remember all the things he believed I could do. When I was 51 years old, I had an opportunity to finally go back to New York City after all those years. This time, I was going back to do a show. I wasn't coming in on a Greyhound bus, but I was flying in on a jet. Coach, but it was a jet. (laughs) When I got to New York, I decided I was going to check into my hotel and then walk around the places where we used to hang out. All of them seemed strangely clean and gentrified. As I walked around, I allowed myself to daydream of what if Robin had lived, what if he was walking right beside me and we were celebrating coming back to this city with a better life. And then I wondered... Would he still love me if he was here today? What would he think of the kind of person I am? As I was crossing a street and stepping up onto the sidewalk, I looked down at the curb, and there was a pink and black sticker, and it said, you're doing just fine, keep going. And I stood there looking at it with all the life of New York City around me, And I knew that I had never, ever regretted allowing myself to fall in love. That was Alistair Bain. When we asked him how his younger self would describe him now, Alistair said, although it is a bit disappointing that the rock star thing never panned out, being an artist and having seven dogs is a pretty sweet deal. We were curious what Alistair's band sounded like and sent him an email asking if we could hear a song or two. He responded, sadly, we never recorded anything, but perhaps that's best for humanity. (laughs) While our hair was on point, our talent may have been um, lacking. (laughs) But if you want to see a picture of him during his rock star days, check out themoth.org slash grown. Alistair and Eddie's stories are so different, but they also have some surprising connections. We wanted to explore those connections and get these two amazing storytellers, both at very different stages of their life, to have a conversation about storytelling, music, memory, and so much more. Here's Eddie and Alistair. When I first 
began listening to music, I was the awkward kid in a small town. And so for me, the connection at first was between me and the music. And I don't know if I expected to find a community behind the music, but I very quickly did. For me in the 80s, as a queer kid, it was really profound for me that in that scene, people didn't care about sexual orientation or gender identity um, for the most part. And that was... That was an incredible feeling to be able to be like I could be honest about that part of myself. And so I really went from feeling like I would never fit in anywhere to fitting in there. That's awesome. I still feel very new to punk, which I feel like is also feels like a good thing. But I also am very struck by how much it has made me feel like powerful in myself, especially when I don't, and also having a very similar experience of finding punk as an outlet for like queer identities was really cool. Like like a safety in it that I did not, I very much did not expect to find. And it's it feels very hopeful whenever I think about it and powerful. I remember though that you know, people that sort of saw that I was new to town, a little bit uncertain, and um, maybe always kind of standing to the side or the corner, they were so friendly and welcoming to me. And um, at one point, me and three of my friends all shared a one-room, like, room. <laughs> and it there was sort of this whole sense of taking care of each other in that scene Mm, yeah that went beyond the music and into a sense of um choosing family especially for young queer people because at that time especially and sadly it still happens today a lot of times families will cut ties with a young person who's queer and so my friends really became my family and it was something I never really thought I would have. And it was the most valuable thing in the world to me. And we could fight like brothers and sisters do, but at the end of the day, we were always there for each other. Yeah. I, Oh, I I think there's something really special about punk and it being very centered around this, or it should be centered around this idea of making sure that it is a space for people who feel like they don't fit in and there's a feeling of like productivity there and just that not being alone is an active thing and creating, it it is creating a space which, Mm -hmm. yeah, it feels, is very powerful. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I enjoyed it so much. It's always great to meet somebody else who loves the same music and uh, absolutely loved your story and will probably listen to it over and over again in the future because I could really relate. Yeah, your story meant a lot to me. It felt, they felt sort of like, it was really nice to just be like, these are 
feel vaguely very connected in different, just like at different times. It was so nice to hear Alistair and Eddie's conversation. It was. It was just so awesome hearing two different perspectives from two different generations. So what is our next episode going to be about? Well, it's going to be all about storytelling, and it might just feature some people you recognize. Here's a preview. My junior year of high school comes around, and I have not had a boyfriend at this point because when you're 15, you're really just looking for someone to make out with during your lunch period. But I was ready to settle down, and I scared away every single boy. Oh, I cannot wait to hear from 16-year-old Fonzo. I can't wait to hear from 16-year-old Eliza. If you want to hear even more from us, check out Grown on social media. We'll be posting behind-the-scenes glimpses, bonus content, and some all-around pretty cool stuff. We're on TikTok and Instagram at GrownPod. And remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Alfonso Lacayo is a Moth alumni from the Bronx, New York. He's passionate, creative, and makes music. And if he's not hosting this podcast, you can find him putting essential oils in his hair. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller, passionate about using the power of storytelling for the social good. If she wasn't hosting this podcast and had no student loan debt, she'd own the best restaurant in Queens with the best risotto you've ever had. Grown's senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and Grown's senior producer is Mark Sollinger. That's me. With support from the Moss education and artistic teams, as well as our executive producer, Sarah Austin Janess. Eddie Laughter Story was directed by Melissa Brown, with additional coaching by Michaela Bly and Nico Williams. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the work of the Moss education team, Melissa Brown, Anna Stern, and Devin Elise Wilson, as well as our instructors, past and present. Mixing is by Davey Sumner, with original music and sound design by Davey Sumner and Luke Williams. We're grateful to former producer Julia Purcell, intern K.A. Carter, our teen focus group, and everyone who was kind enough to send us audio for our montages. The rest of the Moss leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cluche, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, Inga Glodowski, and Aldi Kaza. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by the storytellers. Grown is presented by PRX. Ever wonder why we want to tell complete strangers our personal secrets? Or what a CIA spy can teach you about keeping things close to the chest? Read about this and see other fascinating articles on secrets in Grown's Pocket Collection. Pocket is a website and app that finds the most thought-provoking articles from trusted sources all around the internet and puts them in one place. With Pocket, you can keep and find new articles to read, save articles for later, and even have your saved articles read aloud to you. If you want to dig deeper into this secret-worthy episode of Grown, head over to Pocket and check out our collection at getpocket.com slash grown.